I pledge myself to the pod. Loyal I'll always be. A P to start, a D at the end, and an O sitting in between. Welcome back to An Omnia Promise. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. Welcome to Jay's birth month. Woo! Jay, how old are you going to be this year for the people? It is the fifth anniversary of my 21st birthday. There we go. Don't worry, everyone. You will be getting weekly reminders leading up until the day. I mean, we're not actually releasing an episode on the day. I will be in Disneyland. We will be in Disneyland. We can phrase it that way, but like my birth month is like <laughs> I. There is an I in birthday and in birth month. <laughs> Oy vey. Okay. <laughs> oh, so do you have any special requests for birth month that have not already been voiced? Has anything come to you in the past few days? Surprisingly, there were a lot of like little gifts I want this year. Not like, oh, everyone has to get me gifts. But whenever you know your family asks you, what do you want? And it's like, I want a house. But like, that's not really attainable <laughs> or polite gift to ask for. There are like a lot of little things like now that I'm such an avid reader, I'm almost out. So there are two books on my list. Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, I think. It's like she goes through oh, the 37 yeah. emotions and like what breaks them all down. 37, 87, don't know, don't have the book yet. And Gabrielle Union's new autobiography I want to get because she talks about like her infertility struggles and perimetopause. Yes. And I like her in general. So that one. And then I need a corresponding dumbbell. So I have like an eight pound and a 10 pound, but like I need the corresponding ones because I've been like kind of trying to like mix and match with like my fives and my threes and it's just like not working. My hands are too small. So I just like the corresponding one. This isn't a list for anyone on here, particularly because I do a family to listen to to buy me these things. These are some of the few things I've been like able to think about and accumulate. I also have a great gift that I found for my friend Laura for her birthday which I will be offering when we get to November. Very nice. No, this is such a functional list this year. I really like it. I know. What happens when you lose health insurance? You need to work on things that help your health, your brain health, your physical health, because I'm losing my mother's very nice health insurance in the coming weeks. That is, that's just the eternal struggle of your 20s, because even if you graduate and you immediately like go into a job with health insurance, like you're not necessarily sticking with that job. Like I think they say nowadays, people in our age range will change jobs every two to three years. Well, yeah, for the pay alone. Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm like every two to three years, if you are working in an industry where your job offers your main form of healthcare, you could be switching healthcare providers. You like, might not be able to stay with your same doctor. Like that's, oh, that gives me so much anxiety. See, and this is where we reflect on the years we could have gone for that MRS degree. Right? See, and technically I even have one. It, oh yeah, they say English is a big MRS degree. English oh, and history. I thought you meant like you, uh, you were a missus. <laughs> I was like, did I miss something? Oh, no, no, no. No, so what I was always told in college was that English, history, and any form of language, that's where you were working just to say that you went to college, but you were there, you were there to meet someone. Emily Gilmore did have an art history degree. She did. Did anyone ever say that to you? Um, no, but I actually, I was reminded a few days ago that one time when I was waiting in line to pick up takeout at a restaurant, someone did fully interrogate me while I was working for the nonprofit about where did my money come from? Did my parents support me? Did my husband support me? Did I have a trust fund? Because their mind was just blown. I could volunteer for a nonprofit and not make any money. Was it a man? It was a man, yes, a middle-aged man. Just decided to, you know, completely pick apart my life while I was just waiting for some hot links and ribs. (laughs) 
it was very sad because, you know, I was already hangry and now this is happening. And I very nicely explained to him that people who work for nonprofits do actually get paid. It's just that the company as a whole they are not in it to continually amass wealth. They put the money that they make into their employees and back into the company for the programming or services that they offer. Yeah, but I feel like we're seeing the more and more documentaries about nonprofits. We need a new term. Yes, so there are a lot of nonprofits that do not function that way. They like to pad the salaries, pad the salaries that they're handing out and things like that. So it's like, if you're going to work for a nonprofit, if you're going in for the right reasons, our favorite phrase from The Bachelor, really look into what the company is doing, what their mission statement is, who their board of directors are, where they are leading that company, because it's not just the people who work there and the CEOs, like that board of directors is really steering where everything is headed. The more you know, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. So to Today, since I actually started talking about food, Jay, what's your favorite food? French fries. <laughs> okay. All right. French fries. Do you know where French fries come from? Belgium? Yes, they do. Good job. Okay. Do you believe that only French fries in Belgium can be called French fries? Well, they call them pomme frites, don't they? Well, yes, but isn't that like technically like in Dutch? Yes, Dutch. Go going with Dutch. Bel Belgianese? It's not. That was my attempt at a joke. <laughs> Please scratch that from the record. <laughs> no. Yes? No. It's it's a very open and mixed topic and my incredibly awkward segue into food, food and cultural appropriation. Yes. Do you see where we're going? Yeah, no okay. I know. Okay. All right. <laughs> So, yeah, so I guess, okay, french fries made outside of Belgium. Still french fries? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's generally where everything sits, but in... You started this bit, you have to finish. I know, I wasn't expecting you to go with something as simple as french fries. <laughs> Today, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about cultural appropriation and one of the big debates going on right now within the realm of education for us all around the world is whether or not food and recipes can fall into the realm of things that can be appropriated? The answer is yes. So I thought that maybe we'd, we would start with our favorite fruit, favorite, our <laughs> we would start with our favorite foods and then we could work our way through into other topics of conversation, hair and fashion and music and go from there. Sounds good to me. Just because these are always so fun. These are our personal opinions. We try to stay as educated as we can and we're always open to hearing different and or more information that we'd be more than willing to change our minds and grow from these opinions. Take it with a grain of salt, be a good person, don't litter, say please and thank you. And in the interest of French fries, maybe include a dip or two. Another really bad joke. We're just gonna strike all of these today, guys. Oh yeah, I definitely think like in general, food can definitely be appropriated. Oh my God, most recently, one of our main sources of content, entertainment and reasons we come up with this podcast, TikTok. TikTok. There's this woman who, press prizes, a white American woman, who decided to reinvent kanji, the traditional, oh. I frankly don't eat it, but like the Asian porridge thing and basically do it with oatmeal variations. It's like blueberries and sugar and do all these things like American kanji. No. <laughs> you can't take a food from another culture and then rebrand it as the American version. That doesn't exist. It's like American mahjong, which we can get into a little oh, later. Oh God. This was like literally the same thing. I think we're very nuanced people and we can get things really small. So I think this is a, such a nuanced conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Because for example, like I'm going like broader for a second. In a world where I choose to be vegan and 
I want to replicate orange chicken or mushroom chicken or something I grew up eating or whether you're Asian or not just the concept of making a food vegan that's not stereotypically vegan I think it's just some depending on the way you do it could be considered appropriation when there are all these restaurants talking up like we made this vegan Chinese food and we are not Chinese and we're like well yeah you should add some soy sauce and chili flakes and call it a day like it's very easy to appropriate other cultures food and there's also like an ignorance behind it because if you think like I had to like find a way to make all these like vegan Asian recipes then you clearly don't understand like and I'm saying Asian but go into each East Asian South Asian North Asian country and like they all have already food that is vegan because mm -hmm. people are vegan in those cultures so rather than being like we're gonna make like Panda Express vegan you can like eat the vegan food of the cultures rather than the only little glimpses that you've gotten a feel for that you've tried before. Mm -hmm. My main base of food is dominantly Asian food. I have the least fussiness with it. I can normally go to any Asian restaurant and like order up any menu versus like for me I've been called like a very adventurous picky eater <laughs> because there are certain more American slash like I'm using air quotes like simple things I do not like that are very common but then on the other hand like I'll eat a lot of like non-traditional food and I'll try some weirder things. And it's it's interesting that you actually brought up Asian food in this because the whole article that sparked this for me was a debate on whether or not restaurants that incorporated Asian fusion into their menus were appropriating. And generally I think when it comes to fusion, if it's done in the right way, no, it's not appropriation because you're trying to blend two things together and just through the very idea that it's fusion is infused together you're not claiming that anything is authentic or you're grabbing from something that is very traditionally eaten you're mixing a lot of different things together but where it becomes a, like a separate issue for me is when restaurants open and they claim to be like oh like we're the clean good authentic organic version of this culture's cuisine but a lot of restaurants here in the US aren't really necessarily like authentic Chinese, Mexican, Indian, Japanese, Korean, Italian, whatever. It's all been changed to try to meet past tastes of the American palate. And now that there's been a shift in the way that people want to eat here, they're looking more towards those traditional recipes where things are a little bit lighter, maybe a little simpler, like leaning less towards starches and fats and thickenings. I know sauces is a big one that comes up. It's like, a lot of people are moving away from like the thick sauces and into like more broths and they're like oh it's clean and good but you, oh my god you're looking at me like so crazy right now. I just think it shows a big ignorance with the American palate. Mm -hmm. I'm making a very vast generalization here but it's like one of the best places to be vegan or vegetarian is India. Exactly. Going clean I'm reading a book now about like Korean cuisine and how people have like made fun of like kimchi and the smell of it but like one of the philosophies and granted I'm not gonna get the book out right now the book is called The Birth of Korean Cool and talks about Korean culture and how they spread throughout the world with the pop culture technology and everything from splitting off from North Korea but one of the things is Korea had a thing where it's like eating like five colors on your plate eating very clean but like they get bullshit for kimchi because it smells different and it's mm -hmm. like so I think like kimchi's so healthy it's fermented with the prebiotics the probiotics all the good things but when like you hear people talk about cultural food for some reason like when you think of like Mexican food lots of extra cheese the melty greasy food like sour cream on everything mm -hmm. so many cultures have so many foods beyond what you can get out like a Mexican restaurant or a Chinese restaurant or whatever where like oh I don't like Chinese food it's really 
really greasy. It's like, you don't know enough about it. That'd be saying like Americans only eat burgers and fries, which is also very greasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And so the thing that like specifically struck me about the sauces was like for Chinese food, people are like, oh, like I don't want to eat like the mandarin chicken, the general so's chicken, the lemon chicken. Those it's are also all fried. very thick and like they just cover fried foods and so those aren't actually considered to be like traditional like Chinese cuisine like they were created here in the United States for Americans which apparently was actually a really big thing as well because at one point in like the early 1900s when they tried to stop immigration from China and other Asian countries the only people who could get visas to come in and start businesses were restaurateurs so it's literally like the only way they could come to this country and make a living and then they had to feed people what they would eat It's super annoying when you like Mexican food. Like I really don't want to like eat all like the greasy beans. Refried beans are such an American thing. Granted, I love them. They are my favorite form of beans. That's just where I go with it. But if you were to go to Mexico, any Latin American country, they might give you beans at a restaurant, but it's generally for tourists and it's a really small amount. It's not a main portion of the meal. Not like here where beans cover half of your plate. We've both had the fortune of like going abroad and it's like the United States is like the wealthiest country in the world Mm -hmm. like start there and so it's also like what's looked up upon if you're rich but not if you're poor it's like cooking your own food eating from the earth natural food like there's this great series on Netflix my cousin shows me about them like making baked potatoes in the ground as they grow them oh in China I don't remember the series called but the cinematography is beautiful on it countries that aren't as well off in the U.S. don't have the privilege to process food so you're eating whole food you're eating like really good food like I remember I mean the one example that comes to mind is like going to Spain and eating like paella it's like the food is fresh the food is good because they're not like doing as much the supply chain isn't as long Mm -hmm. yeah they don't need to use as many preservatives or they don't treat their livestock with hormones like I found out that the whole like the the yellow yolk totally a U.S. thing if you go to other countries it's orange yeah Canada they were the brightest yolks I've ever seen Mm -hmm. and they're less processed because like I don't know is pasteurization bad because I know in other places you don't refrigerate eggs because they're pasteurized. I don't know. Does that make a difference? Better? Worse? I don't know. I don't know either. I just know when you when I didn't refrigerate eggs, it really scared me. I know for us at least because everything here is pasteurized. Like it's a little harmful when you go to mm-hmm. other places and it's not because our immune system just isn't set up for it. Mm-hmm. Going back to things. MSG. Oh my God. Okay. Again, something used for American taste buds. It's not necessary. It's not a part of anyone's cuisine. It's not a naturally occurring food. Well, salt, seasoning, whatever it exactly is. I'm speaking from what I've heard from other Asian chefs and other people. So so we'll probably put something in the description or whenever we start doing show notes again about this. But like MSG is no worse than a lot of the other preservatives and chemicals that go in food. It's a heightened umami sense that goes into a lot of typical Chinese dishes. But like, it's not as bad as people say it is. Mm -hmm. It's not any worse than using a crap ton of salt or a crap ton of other seasonings and flavorings and artificial things in your food. Eating a cup of noodles. Well, that has MSG in it. It will, exactly. It's like people are like, oh, I'm eating cup of noodles and this is awesome. But if they go to a restaurant and they see MSG, they're like, oh, this is a lowbrow food. 
Mm-hmm. The other thing of like restaurants needing to uplift cuisines, like I went to insert country here and like I don't feel like they're getting enough representation. So let's, I'm gonna do it. Oh my God, right? Part of another article that I read was about how traditionally within the American mindset, Chinese, Mexican or Latin American and Indian food are all considered to be underrepresented and they need to find ways to like elevate them and use better ingredients when actually it's just that a lot, the entire mindset surrounding it, it's not that they're actually underrepresented or they're not using good quality ingredients to create the best food that they can. It's just that they're traditionally seen as like the cheaper, fast options. And so if someone was to go to one of these restaurants and see prices upwards of like $25 a plate, like something more like 30 to 45, they might automatically categorize it as like trying too hard and these restaurants normally close or they'll not attend. And then I think that goes back to the whole thing of like where people decide that they need to step in and say like, oh, well, let me help you. Like, I'm going to show you how your food can be better. And it's like, let me as a chef from outside of your culture, show you how to make your food better. And this isn't to say that only people from within a culture should be able to make food from that culture. That's not what it is at all. It's just that it is particularly if you are outside of said foods, cultural home base, be respectful about how you're doing it. Don't try to rename dishes. Don't try to say that you're offering an authentic cuisine. Like, I don't care how many years you've studied it, how many years you've traveled around said country, you're, there are still so many little things about the dishes that you're just, you can spend years doing it, but it's like, there are just some things you're just not gonna get from living within it, like having those things passed down to you. Like in my family, they won't give me any of our recipes at all. Like I'm not, uh, in their eyes, I'm not worthy. Another topic for another day, but like even within your own culture, you might be seen as unworthy. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. That was just sitting in me. It was weighing on your heart. It was, yes. Yeah, it's just mind boggling. I mean, see, I'm, we're, I'm getting a little bit conflicted of like kind of your last statement is like, now I feel like we're really kind of talking about the appreciation appropriation conversation. Because mm-hmm. the thing is like, I do agree that there's a certain amount of growing up in a place with the culture with generations of knowledge, but I don't think that means someone who came in, studied, and is living as authentically as they can from the time they started mm-hmm. could not be on par. It would always be a little bit different. Like there would always be like an asterisk of not, not for like the same, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it couldn't be as good in quality and everything else. And that they're not oh, authentically yeah. doing the techniques and things that mm-hmm. train them. And I think going back a bit for fusion food, it's like I've always made fusion food personally. Like I always used to love getting like chips and salsa and then like getting like sushi. Like I was, I would always like mix and match foods because I think like cultures do flavor palettes so differently. It's nice. Like Korean tacos is one of my favorite things to do at home. Like I'll make the bulgogi with the marinated beef and then do like avocado, green onion, sesame seeds, like in a tortilla. Mm-hmm. Or like, I know a lot of people, they're like, they're like bulgogi fries, which are a take on carne asada fries, Mm -hmm. Um, sushi burritos, where it's like you're eating sushi in the form of a burrito. There are so many ways to do it. And I think it's different when you're doing that because like you said, it's a fusion. It's a bringing together. But like when people think they can do it better without any stance, it's just the audacity. Literally the audacity. White, cisgender, 6'2", male audacity. (sighs) All right, I feel like we've gotten very heated about food. Festival fashion. 
So I know Coachella comes under a lot of fire for this. Like whenever anyone thinks about cultural appropriation and fashion, Coachella is always the first to come to mind. It might be the worst. Like I don't think I've seen anything. All festivals though. Exactly. I don't think I've seen anything like more flagrant than I've seen at Coachella. I was like, but all festivals do it. I mean, not only that, I know, unfortunately I share my birth month with this Halloween. Mm-hmm. Anytime when people feel that they have an opportunity to dress outside of the day-to-day in costume there's always like there are some lines that should not be pushed and yet it seems every year we still come right up against those lines in terms of what we're seeing let's like start up like at the top and we can get more nuanced okay do not darken or lighten your skin tone i don't care if you are a european who tans very well then you be tan and we'll go into this a little bit later than you have. if you naturally tan like a greek freaking goddess good for you mm-hmm. <laughs> but do not intentionally lighten or darken your skin tone unless you are an animal <laughs> or an alien yeah here here that's kind of the end of it. If I wanted to be, I mean, I don't know, it's hard for me because I don't even have enough Asian people I can dress up for Halloween, let alone trying to pick from another culture. But like, let's say I wanted to be... Oh, I was gonna go with like Beyonce in the lemonade video or something. Sure. Like, like, like let's say I wanted to like be Beyonce. I have pretty good hair on my own and hers is highlighted. Mm-hmm. I could get more hair and I could dress in like all I remember her is like one in like a big fur coat and some mm-hmm. cool sunglasses. Or the single ladies, go, let's go simple. Yeah. You wear a black bodysuit and then like you just shake, shake your hand around a little. Yeah. If you want to get really into it, get the really, her really big Jay-Z engagement ring in there. Bump up your hair a little bit and you are Beyonce in the single ladies video. Costumes are about your dress. It's never about what your skin color looks like, what your hair color looks like, what your hair texture is like, your eye color. None of that is a factor in who you are dressing up as. And I don't know why that is such a big debate every year. I know one of the things that this hasn't happened to me so much as an adult, but when I was a child and I would talk about Halloween with everyone, I'd say like, oh, like I'm gonna be Cinderella. And they're like, oh, like, don't you maybe wanna be Pocahontas or Jasmine? No, I wanna be Cinderella. And then when I very clearly wore my Cinderella costume to school, the kind that like had like the little like Cinderella like cameo, like in the the belt or something, people asked me still, they're like, oh, are you a blue princess? No, I'm Cinderella. Why is the fact that I'm not blonde, why does that take away from my not being Cinderella in costume? I agree. I think the other thing though, which I think this is a little nuanced is like when it does come to children, Mm -hmm. I don't think you should be, skin color again is like a non-issue. Like we're not covering skin tone anymore other than Mm -hmm. this, but it's like, it is different dressing up as Pocahontas or Moana when you are a child and when mm-hmm. you are an adult because I think kids have a big association with the act. It's different because when you're a kid you can buy the physical costume through Disney or through a thing and when you're an adult and you're trying to make shift it I think is where it can get a little dicier. Mm-hmm. I agree and I know that this is part of a larger conversation but personally like my issue has never been oh like you are portraying yourself you picked a like a black character to dress up as or you picked an Asian character to dress up as or a Latinx character to me it's always been about what you want to represent or what you want to not even represent but just what you want to play with but I feel like play has been damaging and so now we have to like pull back a lot more see I think of it even like larger than that 
that. I don't think, not trying to shift too much, but it's like, mm -hmm. I don't think, and I could be completely wrong, I don't think getting cornrows and braids would be such a debate if we stopped killing unarmed black people or gave reparations or treated these cultures that have been typically disrespected, gave them the respect they deserve outside of these costumes. Because I think one of the points of it is they're treated as a costume as different as it's okay to be this on one day because I'm being someone else. I'm doing something different when there are people every day walk through these laps and have these cultures and do these things. You're on this one day choosing like, I want to be different. I want to just like a Native American, but it's like, like for example, something that I'm going to try to do every Thanksgiving is like someone pointed this out and I was like, it's a little thing and I can do more and I'm going to still educate myself. Donate to an Indian reservation on Thanksgiving or a Native American reservation, excuse me, for Thanksgiving because the reason we all celebrate it is not because oh my god like what they did that day was so great it's because it's a day that we were taught to show gratitude and show thanks for our family and getting to be together and our health and our community which is a great sentiment that we've evolved it into what we were taught as children is every day like the equivalent of us celebrating the purge yes dear god Yes. So finding ways to try to give back to communities that we celebrate from. But my point, knowing and appreciating cultures, if we did a better job at that during every other day, I'm not saying I'm going to go around in cornrows or I'm going to go around and mm -hmm. doing these things. But I think the reason it's so noticeable is because those are the tangible things that reflect the darker and deeper issues of cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I agree. And then I think to your point as well, like saying like, oh, I want to dress up as a Native American. Don't just pick an archetype. Like don't say you want to dress up as like a Native American or a cool Asian or like a hip hop star. At least pick someone or yeah. something tangible and say like that is what you're trying to emulate because otherwise like you're you're just trying to like present yourself as a stereotype and that's not helping you or whatever people are affected by said stereotype that you're dressing up as. Speaking of holidays, Drinco de Mayo. So for anyone out there who may not know this, Cinco de Mayo is not actually anyone's Independence Day. Well, actually, no, that's wrong. It is a day that celebrates, I'm not even sure if it's Mexico, I'll have to check this. It's either Mexico or some other Latin American country's independence from France in, in some sort of like itty bitty tiny little battle actual Mexican Independence Day, as in they became their own sovereign country, is September 16th. Several other oh. Latin American countries have other uh, Independence Days also in September and early October, which is why we actually now have Hispanic Heritage Month, which spans from mid-September to mid-October. Nationally? Nationally, yes. It gets a little bit more complex because individual states have, particularly California, we have a lot of other Hispanic representation days throughout the year celebrating Mexico and the way that the former Mexican citizens who then became Californians when this land was sold to the United States, how they helped shape our state. We honor them, but other countries, other countries, I feel like other countries sometimes, other states like Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, they don't have as many of those days or the same days. So definitely look into your national days, look into your state days. Cinco de Mayo is another American-made holiday for non-Latin. 
that next people to think that they're doing something for others and celebrating them when they're not. I know a lot of Mexican restaurants will happily take your money and give you margaritas in exchange, but you're really wholly missing the mark. Well, I didn't even say Cinco de Mayo. Oh yes, you said Drinco de Mayo. Is that, I thought that was Cinco de Mayo. It was, but <laughs> if, but we shouldn't even be celebrating Cinco de Mayo, let alone renaming it typically in the context that I know of it as a white fraternity is calling it Drinco de Mayo. Yeah. It's different if it was Latin dominant fraternities doing it because I'm not in the Latin community, so therefore I'm not going to say what is and isn't appropriate for it. But just like how it's Jumanji, it's not my not my organization to critique. Mm -hmm. But like Drinco de Mayo from every white fraternity on campus, eh. Guys, just stick with Brochella if you need one. Well, going like, back to the costume though. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is like a very, the lines are very blurred. Like for example, like we're currently planning on going to a festival, knock on wood that like it happens mm -hmm. soon. And Angela was sending me some makeup that she was considering for the day of Halloween that like mm -hmm. might actually happen. And I like asked her like, it's, I don't know how much you want to reveal about it. So it's like, it's from yeah. some like some nerd thing. And it's like some white face paint. And the look I'm doing also has some like white incorporated on the face, but mine is much clearly more like galaxy, not do we need to show you a picture? Well, no, I've I've since looked it up looked it up since our original costumes were gonna be so similar. And I mean I I get it. I think that yours is a lot more well known in pop culture. But I think the placement is also like, you guys can't see me. It's a, <laughs> the placement for mine is a much more around my eyes and it's like curly cued versus yours because it's more angular with lines and dots. Yeah, so for all of you out there, we'll, we'll see if I actually do this, but I was considering dressing up as Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Many of you may only know her currently from The Mandalorian, but she's a very big player in Star Wars, The Clone Wars, if you haven't watched that. And she, and so our group is considering dressing up as like aliens together for the actual Halloween day. So if I'm gonna dress up as an alien, I want to pick someone who I not only feel comfortable with but who I feel like would be a good representation of alien because I already oh I've been thinking a lot about this and I'm like should we even be calling ourselves aliens should we be non-humanoid creatures very complicated but I didn't want to just show up in neon and some glitter and be like oh woo I'm an alien because wait for the Instagram pics and see you in some bright neon and glitter I know right but yes I picked Ahsoka Tano and so I sent it to Jay because I was like what do you think of this and I mean frankly like you raised a question that I hadn't even thought of because in my world, everyone knows who that is. Of course, like no one would look at that and think that I am culturally appropriating some sort of like Native American war paint or something like that. But frankly, who knows? That's probably most likely what I could end up getting all day. Because also like her face isn't blue, right? Just the hair is blue if I recall the photos. Yeah, so her, um, I, I, yeah, I forget what they're called, but yeah, it's like blue and white and then her skin tone is more of like an orangey reddish color with white. But since so, we don't change our skin tones. Yes, since we don't change our skin tone and I plan on just having a nice good base tan from our time in Disneyland, I was just gonna put on some of the white face paint. And my only question was, and granted, I also will have some sort of white sticker thing on my face. So this isn't that, oh, I'm much, I'm much safer. Just the difference is because of our ethnicities, it's a lot less likely I'm gonna get asked if I'm appropriating from a culture that Angela would be being. Well, okay. 
okay, see, I can see either people asking if I'm appropriating or people asking me if I'm trying to honor my Native American heritage. Neither of the which you would like. Correct. I would not appreciate either of those questions. Frankly, I think if you, oh, okay, this is, this gets into an even more complex turn of conversation, but if you're ever unsure of something, like in terms of like, if someone's wearing something because of their heritage, what someone's heritage is, how they culturally identify, what their ethnicity is, frankly, even more, I don't know why we think it's okay to ask people their nationality. Wait until you're invited to do so. Don't just go up to people and ask them. Like that's, so rude. And frankly, I know from just past experience, because I get asked that question a lot, I try to leave openings and conversations for people. And I know that a lot of other people who might be like racially ambiguous or have more complex histories than can meet the eye, they also try to do this. So it's like they'll make statements or like they'll ask questions that give people the opportunity to ask questions back or to reveal a little bit more about themselves so that people might feel comfortable asking questions down the line. Please do not just start with those questions. Like when you meet someone ask like, hi, so where are you from? Yeah, no bueno. Yeah. Going back to a few episodes ago, we had one of the girls I was talking with, Anna here. One of the points she brought up that I never thought about was like how when people ask us our nationality or ask us that, like they, congratulations, you found the, the needle in the haystack. We weren't born in this country. We we're adopted. And that's like the thing of like, we'll set the mind. So like, let's say you were Native American and you did do a Native American thing for a festival, which I don't know why you would do, but like, let's just say you did. If people came up to you and you, even though you're not giving permission by you doing it at a setting where everyone else is doing it and if well the person of the culture is approving like they're even doing it for Coachella like mm -hmm. it, it it's complicated because that makes it even harder yeah exactly no and I think I don't know I feel like at this point no one should need to hear this but just putting it out there again just because you may have friends or family, extended family, or someone like outside of your culture in another culture that you're like borrowing from or dressing up from, just because they say it's okay, it doesn't mean it necessarily is okay. They're one people, a few people, they don't speak for everyone. So please be cognizant of that. Okay, well, I think we're on time to get into more, like, I think this is the most nuance you can really get to this conversation. I don't disagree with you, but I also don't think it's just a statement you can make like just that, like that simply either of like social media is like the biggest perpetrator of this but for example there is a woman who married a Korean man she was white and was wearing the traditional thing for like Lunar New Year and got blasted on social media like news articles for her wearing the traditional garb for this thing mm -hmm. when her mother-in-law who is the Asian one asked her to wear it and that happens a lot mm -hmm. and so the thing is I think that and I'm not saying you were saying that but I think mm -hmm. it's like everyone could feel a different way about her doing it mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily an opinion to be expressed when this was a family affair but then it goes to the question well she'd post on social media if she didn't post conversation just gets a whole lot more nuanced when it does come to blendings of cultures and blendings of families because it's a thing of like people basically think so Angela when we get married essentially like if I like started making tamales with your family and like got really good at it because I know that's something your family mm -hmm. does I'm not being racist like Angela's told me for years that they do these tamale <laughs> parties it's just it is a point of reference that I have and it's like I like did it and then like one day like I made them for you or something and like did it and it's a thing of like not like oh I did it better but like I did them like on par with the way like your family did it because I appreciated mm -hmm. it and wanted to do it like I don't think that it should be something to have to get my head bitten off over from the public because like it's not affecting you it's not impacting you mm -hmm. how my family 
our family chooses to handle such things. Mm -hmm. And I think that I agree you can feel a different way about it and the people of that culture are the only people who can really make that decision. But also knowing like a person of your culture Mm -hmm. gave them that. So like who are you to be telling another person of your culture Mm-hmm. to not do it. No, I I completely agree and I think like both of those examples like wearing the lunar new year outfit and making tamales with my family. Those are examples of when like you are invited into a culture and like you said it's like not necessarily everyone in the public knows that. So I think that there are a lot of people that just like to look and judge initially before they have a full story because I'm sure in say for example in this woman's caption she probably put in something about like celebrating lunar new year with my husband's family and she doesn't have to explain that like her mother-in-law wanted her to wear that but it's like it's very clearly an example where she just didn't decide that she up and wanted to celebrate Korean lunar new year on her own and like dress up in her apartment like just because is like she was doing it with her family. And I think that speaks to a larger issue about when we look at people and we decide that we want to make arbitrary lines about what cultures they can or cannot be a part of. I think we're hitting now the whole appreciation part of cultures and other things. Mm-hmm. We're not perfect. Like for example, I was reflecting on this a little bit ago when I was like nine, my mom and I went to the Bahamas for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. A great time. There was a woman, a very nice woman, who was doing like cornrows or tight braids Mm -hmm. on the street and it looked pretty and I wanted to get my hair done. Mm -hmm. My mother only let me get a few because I have a lot of hair and it would take a long time and it was like five dollars a braid or something. Mm -hmm. So like it wasn't gonna do it. But like I had the cute little braids with the little beads at the end. I got to pick the colors. I'm sure I picked pink and it was really fun. Mm -hmm. And it's a thing of like nowadays if my mother who's white and me took a picture in the Bahamas and like it got posted on a social media like we could get canceled like that and it's like Mm -hmm. we were I'm not saying like oh because we paid for it but like we were in a place where the local we were we were giving money to this woman her small business or whatever she did I don't remember whether she was a woman who worked at the hotel or she had like pottery or whatever but Mm -hmm. she was just offering the service and it's a thing of like I don't think that's like a cancelable offense like we're in the Bahamas that's the way a lot of the women were wearing their hair and yeah no I I agree with you and I think that it comes into the whole particularly with hair like there's the idea of is it appreciation or erasure Nowadays, it's like if you were to have this done and you came back and you said like, oh, like I had like Bahama braids. No, you had cornrows or like you had a, what is it? It's, um, it had, it's a different name if it's like half to your scalp and then hanging down. Box braids? No, that's, um. I tried. Blah, it's with an F. Um, Good. oh, I didn't write this one down, but yeah, it's like, there's if you, yeah, there's a term for it. It's like particularly like with we'll go with hair braiding. Honoring the name is like does a lot for the culture, the community, the people who wear them because it's like you're not saying like, oh, I'm adopting this hairstyle for like every single day, but you're like, I'm in your country. I'm trying this out. Like, I think it's cute. It's like, and I want to wear it and not then say like, oh, look at what I did on vacation. This is like this new like vacation style that everyone should do. And every every single time you go on vacation. Correct. I was thinking about this as well. Like mine was also hair. Coachella, space buns, not space buns. They are called Bantu knots. I do know, and I have seen Bantu knots done, but all space buns are Bantu knots. 
not all space buds, but like I the feel like whole... we're like all squares are rectangles, but <laughs> not all rectangles are squares. Um, it's it's definitely like an inspired by kind of yes. thing. So it's like if you're doing a particular style. So what I didn't know was that my friend who did them for me, she called them space buns. She called her space buns. They were actually bantu knots. You should tell. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's it's one of those things where it's like on Pinterest you'll see a lot of different tutorials for like face buns, mini buns, things like that. But it's like part of it is that a lot of people present it as like oh this is just something like cute that I saw or something that I came up with and a lot of people don't necessarily know the origins and so it's they're not purposely doing anything harmful on their part they're not actively trying to participate in erasure but there are people who will maliciously put it out there and see like there's a style and then rename it and then say I came up with this this is the way to do it and that's where it's absolutely not okay. I agree. There's this, again, a woman on TikTok. I don't know her username, but she is a, I don't know if she's just white passing or full white. She is a ginger mm -hmm. who has four BC hair. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who don't know, there's like a scale of how curly wavy your hair is to help stylists to decide products and how to cut it and all those lovely things. We could do a whole episode about hair one day. This isn't it. Basically, she used to wear her hair in cornrows because of the texture of her hair liked cornrows. It needed the protection of styling just like typically mm -hmm. black and brown people do and she stopped because she she wants to be better and so she asked like the black community how do I do my hair how do I style my hair what can I do to do it and then you got the mixed results some black women like do the cornrows it's fine mm -hmm. I don't care and then you go to the other half who are like no don't do it like try these instead and it's like, not like oh whoa is this poor woman but it's a thing that's hard of like her hair texture is the same problem that these black and brown people go through so it's not like oh well she should just get to do cornrows she's entitled to do cornrows in her hair mm -hmm. but it's the thing like the reason cornrows started was because they needed it to protect from the breakage that typically finer hair needed. Yeah it hair is very complicated and I think that because it's your hair is something that naturally occurs you can <laughs> I don't know that's the way that I always think of it in terms of like where where does cultural appropriation begin and it's like you can't necessarily appropriate something that occurs naturally like I don't think when people straighten their hair that's cultural appropriation because straight hair is naturally occurring and curly hair is naturally occurring I would just so I think that straightening your hair and perming your hair not necessarily a appropriation there are ways in which you can then style it that are appropriative mm -hmm. which I think is where it gets complicated and then it's like oh well it's like to what degree of straightness is naturally occurring to what degree of curling is naturally occurring and those are also important topics but just like for, for the purpose of this statement here they're both naturally occurring but I think it's like when you get into style specifically that is the appropriative part. See, I agree, but I think like everything when you talk about this conversation of appropriate appreciation, privilege, oppression, straight hair is what is acceptable. Straight hair is what is desired. Straight hair is <laughs> what is sold to us. Only last year, I think in California, was there a law passed Mm -hmm. that made it so naturally haired that that, not, that women who had naturally curly hair could wear it to work without any repercussions. Mm -hmm. Like, I think in that respect, it brings up a conversation of assimilation, not necessarily appropriation. Yes, but my only point of being like when people who have curly hair straighten their hair versus me deciding who has the naturally desired hair type to put in cornrows because I saw Kendall Jenner doing it of all people, that's, those aren't the same conversation. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, I I personally don't think we can talk about appropriation without talking about the lovely Kardashian clan. Oh yeah. When I googled celebrity cultural appropriation, 
they were the first 15 articles. Again, I think it goes back to this. All of them have biracial children and are raising biracial children into this world. And it only takes one person not to know your Psalm West for you to be treated like any other black man in this country. Mm-hmm. And granted, they're going to have security and privileges and things for life. They're taking traits, BBLs, mm-hmm. the tiny waist. People give Kim Kardashian a lot of credit for changing the body standards, which I don't disagree she did. Kim Kardashian changed the body standard of women today. That is not Kim Kardashian's natural body. And even when it was, she didn't dress like it was her natural body. Mm-hmm. She dressed a way that women who did have that natural body got looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that, again, too, like, with the hair, like, a lot of things that came up for Kim Kardashian were that, like, when she gets her hair braided, she doesn't refer to it as cornrows or, um, I, I can't remember any of the other braiding styles right now, but, like, she'll cite, like, a stylist. She'd be like, oh, like, I'm wearing this stylist braids. She's like, I don't want to call them cornrows because I only liked them when this stylist did it. So what she's saying is that anytime that she sees this hairstyle on another person, she doesn't like it, but she likes it when someone who is trendy does do it. Yeah, no. It's not okay. And then I think the same thing with like makeup styles, like colors of lipstick, like hoop earrings, like they're wearing a lot of things that other women are considered unprofessional or low class or uneducated. Like there's, there are a lot of, there are a lot of very not nice words thrown around for wearing large earrings. But when the Kardashians wear large earrings, it's trendy. It's cool. Sorry, I was trying to find the style of braid you were mm-hmm. And I found this article on the trendspotter.net written by someone named Arabella Arabella Roden. And I was just like going through and I was trying to find a date because I was like scrolling through trying to find the braids you were referencing. I think I found them. Fulani braids? Yes. But I just, I just want to read you the cornrows section. Okay. Cornrows are one of the most on-trend hairstyles right now. Hair is braided close to the scalp using the underhand technique to create raised plaits. Each one is formed into neat rows which is where the style gets named. Cornrows are endlessly adaptable. They can be thin or thick combined with other braided styles like box braids or even used to create a faux undercut or faux hawk. Even better, cornrows are a protective style and will last several weeks without too much maintenance, which is true. But then we get to, they go about all these other braids, but what is not mentioned in this article is why it's a protective style. Why I shouldn't be seeing on the list of trendy braids, goddess braids, braided buns, tribal braids, cornrows. Oh my God, tribal braids? Waterfall braids on the same list. Yarn braids, crown braids for like a wedding hairstyle. Like these should not all be on the same list. Oy vey. I think it's also a thing of like this person, I'm sure in intent, every other style is either a protective style, like a box braid, and then you go into like a French braid. But the thing is, you need to just not put the two on the same list. Like, I should not be switching. I should not be deciding, do I want to do box braids or do I want to do a French braid? Do I want to do a braided ponytail? Oh yeah, also really quick everyone, box braids and Dutch braids, not interchangeable. Box braids are not box braids. They're wait, like boxer braids. Boxer? Yeah. Are that are those not box braids? I've never heard of boxer braids. Okay, so boxer braids are something new-ish going around, like last few years. Like when you do the two, like yeah, mm-hmm. they're cornrows. It's two large cornrows, but but can't you do two French braids? Yeah, but French braids are different than the boxer braids. They're cornrows. Well, like when people okay, say like, it. oh, I'm get- I just got boxer braids done. 
they're they're not French braids, they're not Dutch braids, they are cornrows, and call them by their name. Boxer braids, that's just referring to the fact that like people decided they were cool once they saw them on boxers. Are you saying we're appropriating from the boxing community now? No, it's not it's not appropriating <laughs> from the <laughs> No, it's again like call call them by their name i agree and i think we're not trying to discourage everyone obviously from appreciating cultures because mm -hmm. we like to appreciate cultures we like to go to restaurants and try new foods and eat out places and travel the difference is like know your place mm -hmm. you you are not the expert on italy because you spent three weeks in italy or you studied abroad in italy for a year and you should not create your own yoga practice and decide because you went on a pilgrimage you are now the biggest world's yoga guru and can do it better mm -hmm. like even doing yoga comes from a spiritual religious place mm -hmm. yeah no we actually we have a really good friend who did the yoga pilgrimage all of that and i mean she's she's not very upfront about it but she does incorporate a lot of her teachings into her practice when i say she's not upfront about it she's not going on instagram saying like oh I am the expert in this like she it's her shows off her yoga practice but like when you actually attend a teaching of hers then she'll talk about what she's learned not from other teachers not what she's learned because the universe on high handed it down to her one day in a core power studio no offense core power I do like your classes capitalist <laughs> I, I think like that's another thing where it comes down to it is like the capitalism aspect of mm -hmm. this appropriation like when people are making money like this I'm not even gonna get into this American mahjong bullshit but like these women were trying to sell mahjong sets that were more accessible and easier to understand selling like they're making money off of these other cultures yoga instructors are making money that could go into the communities which are already underfunded and looked down upon like mm -hmm. money is not the end-all be-all but I do agree you vote with your dollar so spend it in the places of the people People who are actually teaching and who have not who have the right but who know this and are a part of this culture that you are trying to say you want to be a part of because like mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go to Angela to teach me about like Italy stuff just because she took Italian for two mm -hmm. years three years four years three years two two years, years two years. I, I completely agree. And frankly, you just brought up something from me from like a couple years ago. Do you remember when I told you about white girls wear Mexicans? Like these two girls in Ohio yeah. or something went to Mexico, bought a bunch of blankets and shirts, pants, things that people were selling on the streets in Mexico, and then created a Instagram store, called it white girls wear Mexican and modeled everything. And everything that they bought for like $20 total, they made thousands of dollars of profit off of because no. they were like oh like you know we actually like understood what a business model was and like we paid them for their services but we knew how to actually sell it better right it's infuriating because i feel like especially even when there are authentic goods that are offered to you on like amazon or sometimes it's not etsy what's the other place that's like etsy it, it could on maybe it, this even happens on etsy too i don't know but there are places that offer like authentic goods for really high markups that are coming from third parties that don't even know that their goods are being sold to other people for like thousand times more than they could dream of and it's disgusting that's that's not that's not a pre-appreciation and you're not being smart you're just you're, you're being a jerk okay but actually let's talk about like some good ways that we've seen appreciation i don't touch your head <laughs> yes that is good and then when you were very curious you did ask 
ahead of time. This was after hearing she has a 24 hour hair routine. Like I didn't just touch her head because I'm like, <laughs> oh, like what? But it's like, what do you need to do to your head that takes 24 hours? A lot. Not actually a lot. There's a lot of drying time involved, but don't put soy sauce on nigiri sushi or on white rice according to my godfather that's a big no-no for asian food oh okay i don't like nigiri is the one where it's like just the piece of fish on the rice yeah because there's normally a little piece of wasabi that keeps it together so it's like pre oh it's, it's pre-seasoned for you correct mm-hmm. even though it's not um i will i will apologize to your godfather when i see him because i sometimes put soy sauce on top fun. of my rice bowls i do too <laughs> he gets mad at me ask questions i don't know if i went to angel's house for tamale baking i would like not inquisit inquisit what's the verb inquire inquire there we go thank god for your mrs degree <laughs> i would inquire like like what do they do by hand like if they have like the corn mill thing that like you swipe the corn on with the husks and things oh yeah we're we're, we're not we're not that we're not like that we buy everything pre-made now <laughs> i know but the point is to ask questions about yeah. the way that they do it if any of you saw the crazy rich asian scene where like since we was asked like watching the family make dumplings together oh like, yeah be polite and ask what you can do and it's like what's the technique like honor traditions are cool ask about them <laughs> yeah and then you see something that you're really interested in that isn't a part of your culture or like the flow of your day-to-day life learn as much as you can about it don't just i'm trying to think of a good example oh like making matcha i can just make matcha every day or i could actually learn about the history of matcha and why it's like different from regular green tea why it's made in a different way why there exists such a thing in the store as ceremonial grade matcha the only matcha worth drinking Mm -hmm. so it's like if you're if you see something that you actively want to incorporate in your life learn what you can and then again please don't try to rename it i think i think that's the biggest one for me when i see places that offer tortilla sandwiches or i I know i know tortilla wraps are are different from like quesadillas but sometimes i see things that are very clearly quesadillas and like oh this is our like tortilla panini where are you eating um so i see these on pinterest sometimes and occasionally like sometimes off the beaten track restaurants on like road trips and stuff no you essentially made a quesadilla please just call it a quesadilla i think for me the biggest thing is like it's kind of the opposite and it's a duality thing of like be okay with other people calling you out but mm-hmm. at the same time like know your intentions and know that you are comfortable where your values and morals sit so like going back to the woman who wore the traditional lunar new year garb for her in-laws and know that some people aren't going to be okay with it and are going to throw a fit and also know you were asked by the family to do so you love your husband you love your Mm in-laws and they're they see it as a sign of appreciating their world and are inviting you in so know both it doesn't give you a pass to just do it because you have a friend who says you can do it Mm -hmm. and at the same time if it's something that you're really passionate about learning especially if you have children of that culture and want them to get involved and want to get involved with them you know you're doing it for the right reasons and you don't need to explain yourself to the world Mm -hmm. yeah I think nowadays we're gonna need thicker skins but also we're gonna have to still be able to let some of those things in because it's constant learning and growing process part of the cultural appropriation conversation is that we'll feel like they're able to gatekeep it in a way and say Mm -hmm. that like there are some things that are that can't be culturally appropriated which is why I started with food because a lot of the comments that I saw in response to these articles were like it's just food no one can culturally appropriate 
separate it because we all need food to survive. But the way you prepare food. Exactly. Like it's not just like a potato or like rice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the naturally occurring conversation. It's like fruits, vegetables, meats, like all of those things happen the way that you prepare them doesn't. And on that note, thank you for listening to this episode of In Omnia Paratus. Grab your coffee bowls and don't forget to rate, download, and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at InOmniaPod on Instagram and let us know what you'd like to hear about in the comments. Bye. Appreciate, don't appropriate.